Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the Word of God. And we thank you for being a bastion of truth for the apostolic message. Thank you for preaching it when nobody believed it. Thank you for believing in God when others were struggling to do so. Let's receive Brother Stone King as he comes to preach the Word of the Lord. And we want to see God do a mighty work in this house tonight. Thank you, Brother Gleason. God bless you, wonderful people. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, and verse 25, just one verse that I want to draw from here tonight. The Bible says in Mark 15 and 25, and it was the third hour and they crucified him. Would you lift your hands, your voices, and your hearts, and would you pray in this gentle and wonderful atmosphere that is here? It's like you can feel the embrace of the Spirit of God upon us as individuals and as a conglomerate. There's something very tender and wonderful here. Lift your hands, your voices, and your hearts, as it were, into the very presence of God again. And let us worship Him and seek Him for just a moment. Lord Jesus, tonight, I praise you, God, and ask you for the anointing of the Spirit of God, both to hear and to speak. We give you praise, glory, and honor. Bind us together in one mind and one accord. Help us to feel the touch of the Master's hand. Help us to relate, to understand, O oh God, your great love for us. We give you praise. We give you glory. We give you thanks for three souls added to the kingdom of God today. Do it again, Jesus. Bring the hungry and the thirsty to your side. We give you praise, glory, and honor. We ask these things in Jesus' blessed and wonderful name. And everyone said, Amen. The Lord bless you. You may be seated. Would you clap for the Lord once again for just a moment? And would you let your voice out? I know it's been a long weekend, and I know that people are weary, but I feel the strength of the Lord in this house tonight. Hallelujah, Jesus. We clap our hands to you. We shout with a voice of triumph and victory in the camp. We give you blessing and honor and glory. Blessed be the name of Jesus forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What is crucifixion? A medical doctor provides a physical description. The cross is placed on the ground and the exhausted man is quickly thrown backwards with his shoulders against the wood. The legionnaire feels for the depression at the front of the wrist. He drives a heavy square wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly he moves to the other side and repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but to allow them flex and movement. 
The cross is then lifted into place. The left foot is placed backward against the right foot. And with both feet extended, toes down, a nail is driven through the arch of each, leaving the knees flexed. The victim is now crucified. As he slowly sags down with more weight on the nails in the wrist, excruciating fiery pain shoots along the fingers and up the arms to explode in the brain. The nails in the wrist are putting pressure on the median nerves as he pushes himself upward to avoid this stretching torment. He places the full weight on the nail through his feet. <clears throat> Again, he feels the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the bones of the feet. As the arms fatigue, cramps sweep through the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward to breathe. Air can be drawn into the lungs, but not exhaled. He fights to raise himself in order to even get one small breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the bloodstream, and the cramps partially subside. Spasmatically, he is able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in life-giving oxygen. Hours of this limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain as tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. Then another agony begins, a deep crushing pain deep in the chest as the pericardium slowly fills with serum and begins to compress the heart. It is now almost over. The loss of tissue fluids has reached a critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissues. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to gasp in small gulps of air. He can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues. Finally, he can allow his body to die. All this the Bible records with the simple words, and they crucified him. It's always interested me that from the side of Adam, God took that which would make a bride for Adam. But from the side of this man Jesus, this Christ, this anointed one, this God in flesh, the soldiers came. Why did they come? Because Jesus was not crucified on Friday and came out of the tomb on Sunday morning. That's simply church history. Nonsense, really. He died at 3 o'clock Wednesday afternoon. 
He was in the grave Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, and came out at 6 p.m. in the evening. Because the Bible, the scriptures declared he would be in the grave three days and three nights. And in the year that he was crucified, there were three high holidays or Sabbaths in a row. When the soldiers came, they were sent by the religious hierarchy of that day. For what reason? The Sabbath was beginning at 6 p.m. And they wanted to make sure they didn't desecrate the Sabbath with victims being crucified on the hillside. So the soldiers came with clubs in case that the victims were still alive to crush the bones of the legs and the bodies to hasten death so they could take the bodies down so the Sabbath would not be defiled. They broke the legs of the two thieves that were crucified with Jesus. When they came to him, this Jesus, whose visage was marred more than any man, he was already dead. But it didn't suffice, seemingly. The soldier was commanded to pierce his side. And when that soldier took that spear and pierced his side, the Bible says forthwith came blood and water. Medical science tells us there is no way for blood and water to collect in the pericardium or the cavity around the heart unless the heart itself ruptures. If that be the case, medically speaking, scientifically speaking, then the immediate cause of the death of Jesus, he died of a broken heart for the likes of you and me. And from that blood and water, God made a bride for himself. I don't know about you here tonight, but I am so glad I've been buried in the name of Jesus Christ and I have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. If you concur with that, if you can relate to that, would you throw your voice, your hands in the air and let what you are feeling at this moment just come out in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. I've had the privilege and honor of being in Israel 19 times. I have hosted a number of tours there through the years. I love Israel. There's no place like it. But one of my favorite places is to go to the garden tomb. It is the tomb in which the body of Jesus was placed. And it was built by uh, evidently a wealthy Jew, Joseph of Arimathea. And it's very interesting because when you walk into the garden area, there is an undeniable, unspeakable peace in that garden. There is a wine press there that is over 2,000 years old. There's a well there. 
There are olive trees. There are some of the most magnificent flowers in bloom. And there are always birds singing every time I've ever been there. It's, it's like walking into a small earthly paradise. And I've been seen a number of times and I just stood and I could feel something that I call something from ancient days. There was a breath of God in that place. There was a touch of his spirit. And I'm always delighted to conduct a communion service uh, on the tour. And I've always chosen to conduct that communion service in the Garden to Maria. And we're assigned this spot because there are numbers of other groups there, sometimes four or five in the garden. You're hardly ever alone. But they will assign you to this place or that place. And um, I was wondering on this one occasion, one year, where they would put us. And it so happened that they put us on a little area there. And uh, there were olive trees around. The sky was blue. There were very few clouds. And as I said, the birds were singing. There were magnificent white calla lilies blooming around in the area. And the greenery there is lush and beautiful. And they put us in this one area, sort of an elevated place, and then it goes down. But right there is the open tomb, the entrance to the tomb where Jesus laid. And I thought, what an incredible place to gather my people and have a communion service. And this is where they put us. And so when they walked away, I began the communion service, which basically is short. I don't spend a lot of time preaching to people on my tours because you can get preaching here. I want you to see everything you can see there, touch everything you can touch, enjoy everything you can enjoy because you never, may never be able to come again. So I shorten everything. And on this occasion, I read the text and simply made the comments that I like to make there. But the main thing I always like to do is they give each tour member a small carved olive wood goblet to contain the grape juice for the communion and then of course the bread but I always have the people lift that little olive cup up to heaven and thank Jesus for every drop of blood he shed and for every agonizing step he took it's just an incredible experience on this occasion when we lifted that little goblet up and our people just cried out those words, there was a message in tongues and an interpretation. I've heard many interpretations in the years I've lived for God and walked in this truth and have forgotten most of them because most of them are for time and place. But I'll never forget this interpretation. The Lord spoke and said, this is the place where it all happened. But the pain that I bore is not worthy to be compared with the joy that I feel as you worship me in this place today. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Hallelujah, Jesus! Hallelujah! And the Spirit of God swept over my group of people. And other tour groups came running. And they said, could we join your group? Could we walk with you? Because they felt the power and the Spirit of the Lord. I think we ought to give the Lord a round of applause. I think we ought to, just in our way here tonight, halfway around the world from where it happened, 
We ought to give him a standing ovation and thank him for every drop of blood, every agonizing step that he took on the way to pay the price, as this says, the cost of redemption, priceless. What a priceless gift. Clap your hands, all ye people, and rejoice in this redemption. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of Jesus. And walking through that garden, I've thought so many times, the Bible says toward the dawning of the first day of the week, which would be Sunday morning for us, the women came, they were bringing spices, as was their custom in biblical times. They were bringing oils to anoint the body. And uh, I think, as these women walked along, I think they were talking. Why do I think that? Because women like to talk. That's why I think that. And I think they were saying things like, can you believe this has happened? He raised Lazarus from the dead. He healed the lepers. He cleansed them. He sent them back home. He healed all manner of diseases. How is it that we are going to the tomb and he has placed their dead. How is it this has happened? But then I think the big question was asked. But when we get there, who will roll away the stone? We can't do it. It's too big. It's too heavy. We can never push that stone back to get into the tomb to anoint with spices and this oil we're carrying. The Romans will not do it. The Romans will not help us. We might as well turn around and go back because the obstacle before them was insurmountable. But thank God they did not turn around and go back. They kept walking, and people, that's the secret. No matter how big the obstacle in your life, don't ever turn around and go back. Just keep on walking. No matter how big the stone, just keep on walking. Keep on walking. Because if they had turned around and gone back, they would have missed one of the greatest experiences of their entire life. They kept on walking, and when they came out from underneath those olive branches and looked at the tomb, the stone had already been rolled away. And an angel was seated upon the stone. What does that mean for you and me? It means that God can take the obstacles of your life and make them seats for angels. <clears throat> he will roll away the stones of your life. I feel like shouting. I just feel like lifting my voice. If you've got the Holy Ghost, let the Holy Ghost just speak through you for a moment. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. God, in his care for us, what a love story. What an incredible story. 
glory. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. I will draw all men to me. Don't you know the devil must have thought he had a major victory when Jesus was lying on the ground on that cross and the soldiers were driving those spikes through the hands and the feet as has been depicted here by this medical doctor and much worse than even he could describe graphically with words, adjectives, or adverbs. The devil had Jesus flat on his back, nailed to a cross. He thought it was over, but the mistake he made was when he lifted him up. Because it was written, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And to think the devil did it. I feel like clapping for the Lord, and if I could, kick the devil in the shins and say, out of my life, out of our lives, victory has come. It's in the name of Jesus, because he is not dead. He is alive. I am very fortunate in that I've traveled much of this world. And in my travels, I have visited the tombs of very famous people. I've been to Westminster Abbey. Many of the great authors, and poets, writers that you studied in history in grade school, I've stood at their tombs. Many of them are buried in Westminster Abbey in London, England. But perhaps one of the most rewarding experiences was for me to stand before Queen Victoria's tomb knowing that her remains were there. She was an incredible monarch and the Victorian period still influences heavily not only England but even parts of this country and our particular English European heritage. Queen Victoria was a believer in Jesus. In fact she told diplomats that came into her office, into the palace she told them, and she placed her hand upon the Bible and said, the reason for our greatness is because of this book here. Our republic stands upon this book. She believed that Jesus would return. She believed in the rapture. And she wanted Jesus to come during the time that she reigned as queen of England and the world at that time because she wanted to personally take her crown off and lay it at his feet. In fact, she had such an obsession with that that she commissioned an artist to paint it. She commissioned an artist to paint her, taking her crown off and laying it at the feet of Jesus. So it was significant for me, important, rewarding for me to stand uh, before the tomb of such a great reigning monarch. I also went and stood before Prince Albert's tomb. I've been to the Lincoln Memorial. I've been to the Washington Memorial. I've walked through Arlington Cemetery in this country and stopped at the tombs and graves of some of the truly greats in our own history here and in this country. I've been to Israel's National Cemetery in Jerusalem. I have visited um, Herzl's tomb, which is the father of Zionism. I stood before Golda Meir's tomb, Levi Eshkol, and others, other greats that were there, and some of their truly great soldiers 
One of them was just a child. He was running between trenches, taking notes to the soldiers in the Six-Day War, and he, he was caught by a bullet from the enemy. And so he was buried in there, what we would call Arlington National Cemetery in Israel, their national cemetery. This child was given a full ceremonial military burial with all dignity and all rights. Even my guide took off his cap and tear ran down his face as he told the story. So I've had a lot of experiences like that in life. And I also took my tour group to, in Tiberias, to the tomb of Maimonides. Maimonides is the greatest Jewish sage, the greatest Jewish rabbi that has ever lived in all of history. And so it was very interesting and rewarding for me to stand there. And in my way of doing things, before each tomb I've ever stood before, no matter which of these places I've cited or mentioned, I've done my best to, in my way, of doing things to pay my own respects to their remains. But the most famous tomb in the entire world, which attracts more visitors than any other, there are no remains, it is empty. It is the tomb of this Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The tomb is empty, the cross is empty, but my heart is full, my life is full, he is alive. Imagine the most famous tomb in the entire world is empty because he was only there three days and nights, but he came walking out of that tomb victorious. And because he is victorious, I am victorious. And because he is victorious, you are victorious here today. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. His resurrection is one of the greatest miracles of all time. He laid his life down by his own power and by his own volition. He took it up again. And this thing was not done in a corner, ladies and gentlemen. It was not. The Bible says that when he came out of the tomb, the tombs of saints all over Jerusalem sprang open. And they were resurrected to give testimony, to give attestation, to give witness that a miracle had happened. And the rejoicing thing is, and the novel thing is, that those Jews would like to have shoveled those tombs full, but they couldn't because it happened on the Sabbath, and they couldn't. We're not allowed to work on the Sabbath, so the tombs lay gaping open as a testimony that he is alive. He has risen, and because he is alive we are alive also and we shall rise to meet him it's going to be a wonderful day when you're walking along somewhere and you take a step and your foot catches on the air and there's going to be the sound of a trumpet and somehow your body will begin to rise i will not need united airlines i won't need i won't need northwest airlines i don't need american airlines i've got the power inside of me i've got the resurrection power that will lift me out of this world when he comes in the clouds of glory. I feel like dancing. I feel like shouting. Oh, happy day when Jesus comes in the clouds of glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. In 
Jesus name one of the most one of the most wonderful things they told us when we visited the tomb and walked in they said look scientists have come here they've taken chips of stone from where the body lay and they can prove scientifically no human body ever putrefied on this area because he was not there long enough it was just borrowed until the the sacrifice was made and he came forth alive forevermore. <clears throat> it must drive the devil crazy to look at us, to watch us. He thought if he could just get rid of Jesus, it would end it all. When Jesus cried, it is finished, I think he should have cried, it is beginning. Because instead of one Jesus, about 50 days later, they had 3,000 Jesuses with the same power he had, doing the same things he did. 5,000. There are millions of us in the world today. And God is going to have, we're headed for the greatest moves of God the world has ever seen. It's already taking place. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And you can feel that the spirit world is just in absolute disarray. The spirit world is just in havoc because their days are numbered. I don't pray to the devil. That'd be total nonsense. Demonic, actually. But I have talked to him. I've said, devil, come here. And he has to come. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in him, in the world. I've said, you can just pitch all the fits you want to pitch. You can give me all the trouble you want to give me. But remember this, you're going down up. It has a tremendous effect on him. I think one of the most moving experiences I've had for the years in context with what I'm seeing here today. Several years ago, I was in Connecticut preaching. They didn't have a church. It was a storefront. It was a building they had rented. And they had visitors from the streets that had come. And I was preaching there and uh, trying to help this church become established and raised up. Anyway, there was a young girl in the audience. She was not a member of any of our churches there. But she came to the altar on that Sunday morning, just stood there, hands raised. She was crying. And um, I, w I began to pray with her. I walked over, was praying with her. And she recognized my voice, obviously, I suppose. And she took her hands down and opened tear-filled eyes. And as the tears spilled over, she said to me, is it possible that this Jesus you preached about is it possible he died for me? And I said, yes, it is possible. Why are you asking? She said, because while I'm standing here, I can see a man hanging, blood dripping. She said, he's beaten badly. She said, what's that all about? People, you would expect this on foreign soil, but not in America. And I said, yes. It is true, this Jesus died for you. That's why you feel what you feel right here. And she lifted her hands, and we prayed her through to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But her question still, still haunts me. Is it possible that this Jesus you preached about actually died for me? 
in the first church I pastored at, at a Bible school on Webster Street in Schenectady, New York, <clears throat> I worked with a lot of teenagers in those days and hippies. I won a lot of them. There was this one girl that came with another group from the high school. Her name was Judy. She had mental disorders. She did. And she didn't like me. And at the end of the service, we didn't have, we just had a section of seats here, pews here, and just one aisle right down the center. We didn't have aisles along the wall. So when the altar service was over, the only way I could get out of the, of the sanctuary was to walk straight down that middle aisle. And Judy would always be standing about halfway back in that middle aisle, and her face, she'd have a terrible look on her face. And I would stop and smile, and I would look at her, and I would try to take her hand and say, praise the Lord, but she'd never give me her hand. But when I would walk by, she'd take her fist and she'd strike me in the back. It's an unusual thing. It's an unusual feeling to be disliked to that extent and struck by someone, another human being. But I would just turn and say, Judy, I bless you in Jesus' name, and I'd walk on. That went on for some time. I was struck a number of times by her through the months. But all of a sudden, one Sunday morning, at the end of the preaching, Judy was crying, and she came walking down that aisle, and she stood there with her hands up, worshiping God, praising this Jesus. And I went to begin to pray, and I'll never forget this. She opened her eyes and looked at me, so different. It, there was no hatred there. It was, it was all gone. People... No one can do what Jesus can do. Psychologists can't do that. Doctors can't do that. Drugs can't do that. But one touch of the Spirit of God can change a mind, a heart, a life forever. She said, Brother Stone King, she said, I'm seeing something. She said, I see this line of, of goats and sheep. She said, the sheep are going to the right. The goats, they're going to the left. She said, I've got a feeling I should want to go to the right. Is that correct? I said, yes, Judy, that is correct. You should go to the right with the sheep because you are a sheep. She said, that's where I'll go. She lifted her hands and worshiped God, and God gave her the baptism of the Holy Ghost. She's married today and living for God years and years later. The extent that Jesus will go to, someone that doesn't have the mental facilities that the rest of us have, he'd give them a vision of goats and sheep to help guide them. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. No matter where you are today, no matter who you are, no matter how far down you are, I walked up to a man one time, he was in the audience, he wouldn't come forward in the altar call, so I climbed over the pews and went to him. I was praying, and all of a sudden, he just, he was sobbing. He just opened his eyes. He said, Brother Stone King, it's no use. It's no use for me. I said, why? He said, you don't understand the things I've done, the things I've committed. He said, I am too far down. 
I said, no matter, friend, no matter how far down you are, underneath are the everlasting arms of God that can lift you up and pull you up. He sobbed harder, and we prayed him through to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. People, it's not how you begin in this that counts. It's not what happens in between that counts. It's how you end in this that counts. And the end is here. I feel that we have a very short time left in this world. Everything about prophecy, the stage is set, the players are all in place. Everything we've studied about in Daniel's 70th week and the book of Revelation, it's all intact, the hatred rising against the nation of Israel. Our days are numbered here. Any day now, we could rise in the clouds of glory to meet him. But I want to give it everything I've got in the remaining time that is left. We have nothing to lose now. Everything to gain. It doesn't matter what your neighbors think of you. It doesn't matter what your friends think or what your relatives think, what your parents think, what your children thinks. Who really cares if you've got him alive inside of you and you understand that the tomb is empty? You ought to be on your feet. Every service you come to here tonight, you ought to be absolutely, whether you can or not, try to run the aisles. You ought to just get your hands in the air if you're too tired, borrow the shoulder of a friend and get your hands in the air and just worship the Lord. There is somebody here tonight that just wants to worship with everything that is inside of them. I will join you. In the name of Jesus, lift your hands to the Lord and worship him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus! Hallelujah, Jesus! Hallelujah, Jesus! Hallelujah, Jesus! your hands again all over this audience and just let your voice out. I can feel the presence of angels in this room. Angels are in this room. Oh, oh. hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. That's it. Let your voice out. Just let your voice out. Something wonderful is happening. Somehow or other, I can feel the chains are melting on someone's life. Prison doors are opening for some people here right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. There's an old hymn. There's an old hymn. I don't hear it much anymore. But there's an old hymn that says, On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. I feel like we ought to sing that tonight and just play that tonight. And while the musicians are coming, I want you 
if it's, if it's proper, of course, take the hand of the person next to you. And as a family, as people who have gotten away from the terrors of the devil, I want us just to pray and rejoice for a moment. Just rejoice in the freedom that is yours. Just rejoice in the freedom that is yours. Given to you freely. Given to you freely. To follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at the Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.